Dads, what do you want your kids, grandkids, maybe even your great-grandkids to remember you for? How would you want your wife to describe you? We are often characterized by the ones closest to us. Does this shake you up a little bit and make you think? It should. While it is impossible for any dad to live and leave a good legacy on his own power, there is a sure way to leave a lasting positive legacy you've always wanted to leave for generations. My guest is going to give us an actionable steps that you can start now and begin leaving the legacy today. So don't go away. Welcome to the Fatherhood Challenge, a movement to awaken and inspire fathers everywhere to take great pride in their role and to challenge society to understand how important fathers are to the stability and culture of their family's environment. Now here's your host, Jonathan Guerrero. My guest is best-selling author, speaker, and founder of Better Dads, Rick Johnson. Rick's passion and purpose is addressing the urgent need to empower men to serve their families first and their communities. Rick, thank you so much for being on the Fatherhood Challenge. My pleasure, Jonathan. Nice talking to you. Rick, let's start off with the story of how you started Better Dads and why you started it. 22 years ago, I had two small kids uh, and a wife, obviously, and um, I had not had a good role model for a father figure growing up. I had, uh, I came from an alcoholic home with, uh, you know, an abusive environment and all that. So I didn't really know. I mean, I was smart enough to know I didn't know what I was doing, first of all, because I hadn't had a, a good role model. So um, because I was a pretty entrepreneurial guy, I just decided I'm going to start something that's going to help give men some tips for their tool belts, so to speak, so that they can be the kind of dads that they want to be and the kind of dads their kids deserve. And so I did a bunch of training, a bunch of studying, read a ton of books, um, just basically made myself into a knowledgeable person about what fatherhood entails and what healthy fatherhood looks like and things like that. And, um, you know, 22 years ago, there wasn't, especially on the West Coast, there was not any fathering books or or programs that were going on to teach you how to be a better dad. And so I just started, I started working with men, you know, just started, you know, speaking to small groups of men and, and giving them some tools for their tool belt, so to speak. And it kind of exploded from there, and there was, you know, just a huge need for that, and had a bunch of other stuff come up that, you know, eventually I ended up writing books on most of the the different activities that we were doing, and um, gave a pretty wide, you know, after twenty years, we were we were doing a lot of things to help a lot of different people, and so um, I'm pretty um, proud of the work that we did and and the impact that we had. I'm pretty much retired now, but um, yeah, it was a good 22 year run or whatever. So I feel good about, uh, I feel good about what we did. So was it really a challenge to try to get everything going and get this off the ground, just given it with how you grew up? I mean, what were the obstacles, what were the barriers from your past that made things a challenge and how did you overcome those barriers? Yeah, there were a lot of barriers, still barriers as far as that goes, but um, you know, I think when you're raised in that environment, you're raised in a survival type of situation. You're not in a, a nurturing 
learning. Let's use this to bounce off into life and have a good, <laughs> a good soft landing and be able to live life. You know, you're, you're still dealing with a lot of different things. And of course, you know, we went to, I went to a lot of individual counseling. We went to a lot of couples counseling because um, my wife had came from a similar background and, um, you know, I was like, I can remember telling her once, I don't think any of this is going to work. And, and just, you know, one day it just seemed like everything kind of clicked into place a little bit. And, and I found myself being a little bit better father, not, not reacting so much to when I got angry or frustrated, but, you know, being able to sit back and, and process it a little bit before I, before I get impatient or angry with somebody. And, um, you know, it's it's still a work in progress, but, you know, we do the best we can and, and make the best of it. I think I, you know, when I first started this ministry, if you will, um, I made a covenant with God that it was his ministry and not mine, and I would just be available for whatever he placed in front of me. And I found out pretty quickly that's a pretty dangerous deal to make with God because he'll start <laughs> all kinds of strange things in your plate that you never anticipated. <laughs> on. And um, so, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to catch up and figure out what God was trying to, trying to get me to do. But um, yeah, you know, I, I think I learned pretty quickly that I couldn't do it all by myself. My, my wife was a huge support, you know, obviously I don't think, I don't think a man can do full-time ministry if his wife isn't totally in his corner and um, cheering him on, so to speak, helping him. She was a huge help on, you know, behind the scenes on helping put together workshops or conferences or working the, working the table booth for me at conferences and things like that. So, um, yeah, I think I learned pretty quickly as much as I hated to admit it that I wasn't capable of doing it. <laughs> Thing that I needed to do. So I was laughing about your covenant because I can actually relate to it completely. Uh, I had initially, I had no desire to start the fatherhood challenge. It wasn't anything that was remotely on my mind or my heart to do. Um, it was a comment from my wife mm -hmm. that prompted me to start this ministry. And, uh, and I do remember being shocked at her suggestion to start the fatherhood challenge and trying to process where this was coming from is this wasn't something I would have expected her to say. And so I spent some time thinking about it, uh, just trying to rationalize the comment. And then all of a sudden everything clicked and I started to realize that no, this wasn't necessarily her saying this, uh, this was a spiritual calling that was happening and God was literally speaking through her. Right. And this was a direct calling. When that happened, I froze and every hair on my body stood up because I realized um, that I was in the middle of and in the presence of something really, really big that was way beyond me. Right. And uh, it, it terrified me. And the second I realized that I went right into prayer right. and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm talking directly to the leader. I'm not even, I'm not messing around with this. And, <laughs> and, uh, I, I went directly to God with this and I, I was very blunt with him. I told him I had no desire to do this. I had no interest in it and that it frankly terrified me, but I told him, you know, look, I, I, but I know who you are. I know what you did for me. 
and you know we're we're starting this friendship and and we're growing this friendship together and so for those reasons i am not about to say no to you right. um but i do need i do need a deal i i need something from you because i don't feel at all like i can do this i'm i, I cannot do this i'm not equipped to do this i don't know how to do this Right. So the deal is this, I'll be your human grunt. I'll do <laughs> all of the things that you need a human to do. Right. But in exchange, I need you to open the doors you want open. I need you to close the doors that you don't want me to go through. I need you to run this thing. I need you to be in charge of it. You own this thing. You're running the show right. and, and I'll be your human grunt and do everything else that you need me to do. I think if, if we can do this, it'll be fine. And and I'll feel a lot better about this and the rest of it. I'll just walk in faith and looking back on it. I can tell you now looking in retrospect, um, he has definitely kept his end of the deal oh, yeah. and I've done my very best to keep up mine. So that, that's why I, I smiled and laughed a little bit as you were talking about that deal with God. Yeah. But once again, uh, more proof, more evidence that we were not meant, uh, or designed to do this on our own. Yeah, and I'm laughing while you're talking about it because my wife, so many times, even right from the beginning, she was the, excuse me, the reason I got into this was because of her encouragement and uh, right from the beginning. And uh, over the years, yeah, she said so many things that had to be directly from God's mouth because uh, I didn't take offense to him. (laughs) So if it had been there, I'd probably take offense to him. But um, yeah, it was like, you know, Make a deal with God like that, and you better be ready because um, I started getting stuff. You know, he'd throw doors open immediately that I had no desire to walk through. You know, prison ministry and stuff like that, and uh, and yeah, he kept his bargain. Bargain, and I can remember I would used to we had a trail by the house we lived on, and I would ride my bike every day at noon down that trail for seven or eight miles at lunchtime, and uh, I can remember many times just kind of opening myself out and feeling the the breeze of the Holy Spirit come upon me and talk to me and tell me, you know, different things that I should do or you know, quietly whisper, I should say, uh, things that I needed to do, things I shouldn't do, stuff like that. So it was very empowering to to be able to put that onus on God and not have to carry that load around that everything is my responsibility. Is it possible for a dad to be at his best without spiritual help? And if not, what does it look like to have that spiritual help in every aspect of parenting? How can it ease stress and anxiety? For me, it wasn't because I did not have the background of having had a good, good parent, good father modeled for me. And so I absolutely didn't know. And the other thing is I used to, you know, when my kids became teenagers, you know, they're always trying to get to do something that they're not supposed to do. They're always trying to go somewhere. And uh, I would just blame God. I'm like, look, you know, I'm responsible to God when I die about the decisions that I let you make in life and stuff like that. And um, I don't want to get up there having let you done something that I know is wrong and have God reprimand me because, because I let you do that. And they seem to accept it pretty, pretty well that, you know, it wasn't coming from dad. It was coming from God. And, uh, yeah, so that worked out well. I blame God a lot. So (laughs) (laughs) not really, but anyway, I think that helps because you were modeling 
a parental relationship between you and God, and you were modeling that to your teenagers, and you were involving them in that process. And I think that is so powerful. Well, and that's a good point you bring up. I always involved my kids in the ministry work that we were doing. So if I was doing a workshop or a conference, they would come along. They would help unload everything. They'd help set me up. Uh, my daughter would work in the child care room. My son would be like security or something at the door, you know, and um, it worked out really well. I think And my wife, of course, was involved a lot. Um, and I think it, it brought us together as a family more to to be involved in something bigger than us like that. And they were able to see people's lives changed. And and it was just a good experience, I think, to involve them in stuff like that. Made a lot of good memories. And um so, I th- yeah, I think it's important to, to involve your family in the work that you're doing this for, for God, you know, even if it's going to the soup kitchen or going on prayer vigils. I remember doing a lot of things where I took the kids along with us. And That time that you were spending with your kids, involving them in what you were doing, I like to think of it as a legacy. You were leaving, you were leaving a lasting legacy with your kids that will last for generations a better legacy than I could have left on my own, put it that way. For dads that are concerned about leaving a positive legacy for their children and future generations, what are some actionable steps dads can do now that will leave that lasting positive difference now and for generations if they stay consistent? You know, I think if you leave memories instead of, I know, you know, most of us want to feel like our main job is working and providing and protecting. and, And it is, that's a huge part of our job, but you know, the other aspect of it is you only got your kids for maybe 18, 20 years at best. And and it goes fast, let me tell you. And uh, if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it all. If you think you got to work, you know, 60, 70 hours a week or whatever, um, it's going to be tough for you to develop a lasting lifetime relationship with your kids. I used to work really, really, really long hours. And I eventually left that career and, and a part of it was in preparation for doing the fatherhood challenge. But on one of the evenings, my son came up to me and told me that, you know, he didn't want me to know at the time, but when I left the door to go to work, he said that he'd go back in the house and and he would cry. And that was really, really a difficult pill to swallow, realizing that my long hours and at work were causing that much of a toll. They're not, uh, they're not creating positive stuff like we think. Yeah, exactly. And that was a big driver behind the decision to leave the career that I did and go into one where I was home a lot more than I used to be. And uh, now we're making great memories and, and it really has seemed like the boys have started to really heal from that time that they were missing me. You just can't get that time back. And so all you can do is make, if you can, make different choices, make different decisions. And you won't regret it. Right. Uh, I do regret the time I spent away from them. I do not regret my career change and the fact that I've had more time with them now than I ever have. I do not regret that part. Your wife has to be pretty supportive too. I gave up a, I had a, I owned an environmental engineering firm for 16 years before I started doing better dads. And, you know, it's hard to give that up, that financial security. You know, we, we had a pretty good lifestyle at that point. And then you go full-time ministry. 
<laughs> nobody I know is making a lot of money doing mm-hmm. film industry. So um, it's a huge job, and there's not a lot of women I think that can remain. Oh, what's the word? Faithful to your vision, I guess. Because um, I I think she clearly knew I had a vision from God, and that I felt like I'd been created. That that was this was the path that I was supposed to walk was through this this ministry work and and I still believe that but you know for your wife to step out on faith and and always be behind you even when it's really hard to pay the bills and buy food you know what I'm saying uh, that takes a pretty special woman and one of the reasons that made it easier for my wife and kids to buy into you know, what dad's crazy vision that God gave him, like Noah or something, you know, <laughs> let's build a boat in the backyard kind of thing. <laughs> but, um, you know, he was very faithful to, first of all, I think he knew that I could not do it if, if he didn't show me the fruit of my labor on a pretty consistent basis. And so, you know, right from the beginning, we were getting emails and texts and letters from people whose lives had been touched and changed and, you know, it's pretty It's pretty nice for your wife to be able to see stuff like that uh, and know that she contributed to that, and it just encourages her even more to, you know, be a part of it. So it, um, God was very faithful uh, throughout the whole, the whole run we had of this ministry. So, yeah, I, I, you know, for me, I couldn't do it without God involved in my life, and I suspect the average man is the same same issue i don't know you know i don't know i know a lot of peers that do the, the kind of work that we do and i don't know any of them who don't have a strong faith in god so uh, you know can you do it yeah maybe but why <laughs> why why do that when god can do it for you and do it a lot easier and faster than you can whether it's it's ministry whether it's some other career you know and i'm talking to dads out there now uh, whether it's being a parent, being a dad, uh, I can say with certainty, you will not go ahead and try and be at your best, but yeah. you won't, you will never be at your best. It's impossible. Not at your ultimate best. You will be as good as you can be without spiritual help. And that might be pretty good, Yeah, but it is impossible. You will never arrive or be at your absolute best without spiritual help. It is impossible. And the reason why it's so impossible is because you weren't designed to do that. Right, right. You were designed to remain constantly spiritually connected. So why would you try to accomplish and do something in a way that you weren't designed to do it? I I love what you were saying about the partnership with you and your wife. And also loved how you shared those successes with her. And I mean, and really, ultimately, if we're really honest about it, your wins are shared. Your wins are both of your wins. It's her win. It's equally her win too, because she's been in this just as much as you. Exactly. And had even more faith. Maybe. I don't know. What are simple actionable steps that a dad can do starting now to improve his marriage and also set a good example to his kids? Well, you know, you asked me earlier how I changed and, and I think, you know, change is hard, but it's possible. And I think if you can, learn about yourself, learn about your background, learn about why you do, why you react the way you do to certain things, certain stimuli. Like just as an example, uh, this is just, it's one of a hundred different examples, but 
you know, when I grew up, a loud noise would cause a very negative response in a hungover parent. So we all bit, you know, we're as quiet as we could be in the house and stuff like that. And even to this day, if a loud noise, if somebody comes up and startles me from behind or, you know, whatever, um, my reaction is I can either react, react in a fight or flight. And because I'm an adult male now, I react with anger. I react with a fight response instead of a flight response like I did when I was a kid. So, you know, I explain this to the kids, of course, and, and what do they do? They spend the next, you know, 15 years trying to sneak up and startle me, <laughs> see what kind of reaction they get, you know, poking a bear with a stick kind of a thing, you know. But um, so, yeah, a lot of different things like that. But through that, through finding out who I was and what made me tick and why, I'm able to rebuild those neural connections in my brain by practice, by willpower, by <clears throat> by prayer, by um, thinking about it when I wake up, thinking about it when I go to bed, um, that I want to change those behaviors. I don't want to react that way. I don't want to be that type of person. And um, eventually, with enough practice, you're able to rebuild those neural pathways and make the new ones stronger than the old ones. It's not easy, takes a long time, but to my mind, that's the only way to do it. Now, I also discovered that there's a number of things that I had to do in order to try to successfully heal, if you will, um, and that included education, that included counseling, and that included having a mentor of some sort, even if they didn't know they were a mentor. And let me just say to your listeners that, guys, if you need counseling, there's nothing unmanly about going and getting help. I, I've done it my whole life. I know men are reluctant, usually, generally, to go to counseling. But um, it, it was very helpful for me. So I think the evil one has, has put in our minds as a culture that it's not manly to go to counseling. Or, oh, yes. I mean, it's clearly it's a spiritual attack, but we don't look at it that way. We look at it as a cultural thing. And, um, you know, I saw the evil one try to do a lot of stuff to take me out of out of the game. And, uh, and you know, he finally succeeded. But uh, it's, it's difficult. It's hard. It's, you know, we don't, we go into something like you and I did, and we don't really anticipate the spiritual attacks that are going to come. But they're 10 times higher than they were when I was doing nothing. Now I'm changing people's lives for God and, and he's not happy. And he's the evil ones trying to figure out ways to derail me and get me out of the game and stop helping people and changing their lives for the better. And don't expect it to be any different if, if you're a father and you're making a difference in your children's life, because Satan, if he does one thing, he works smart, not hard. Right. He doesn't have to do all of the side work. All he has to do is knock one one generation or knock one dad. If he can knock one dad, he can do lasting damage for multiple generations if you were not aware of it. And once again, if you were not spiritually connected. Another reason why it's dangerous, flat out dangerous to do it on your own. That's that's very true. Yeah, I shudder to think of what might have happened if I if I wasn't uh connected with God pretty closely at that time. 
Now, Rick, you've written several books, but the book that really caught my attention is called Better Dads, Stronger Sons. Why did you write this book and what can dads learn from reading it? The Better Dad, Stronger Son is like, you know, straight from my heart. I mean, it talks about the 10 things that dads do that can ruin their their legacy. And, um, you know, conversely to that, I guess there's 10 things you can do that would help your legacy if you look at it from the opposite direction. But I tried to just include in there, you know, the things that I had found to be important and things that I thought would help men. And, um, you know, all of my books have uh, free leader leader guides for small groups. So a lot of churches and stuff around the country were using some of the different books for for their um, ministry and stuff like that. So. Rick, how can dads learn more about what you're doing, connect with you, or purchase your books? Yeah, you know, if they want to go to my website at betterdads.net, that uh, is a good way to find out exactly what I'm doing, what I have done, what um, our books, what books are are on there, and, and all that kind of stuff. And also, if you go to thefatherhoodchallenge.com, That's thefatherhoodchallenge.com. If you go to this episode, look right below the episode description and you will see the link right there. Just in case you forgot or can't remember where to find it, you'll find the link there. You can click on it. It'll take you right to Rick's page. So Rick, as we close, what is your challenge to dads listening now? Well, the main thing that I would like men to come away from here is that um, is for them to realize how important they really are. You know, being a being a dad and a husband is a pretty thankless job most of the time. It's not like work where we get a pat on the back or get a raise or whatever. And um, I think I think men need to realize how important they are because nobody tells them. Uh, and I think within a family, they're just as important as a mother. They provide different services, if you will, than a mother does. But um, you know. Uh, and again, as a, as a father, um, we need to recognize that our time is not just valuable to us, but it's valuable to our kids. And so, if you talk to any uh, kid with a that comes from a, a home without a father in it, they don't want presents, they don't want money, they want their dad to be with them. That's important. And there's a lot of stuff in this book that talks about telling men just how important they are. Not only telling them, but explaining to them why they're that important and what all that means. And I I think it's very helpful for for men to hear that. They need to hear that. Uh, Otherwise, it's hard to continue on. Well, Rick, it's been great having you on the Fatherhood Challenge. Thank you so much for your time and for being with us. My pleasure, Jonathan. I'll ask you back anytime. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fatherhood Challenge. If you would like to contact us, listen to other episodes, find any resource mentioned in this program, or find out more information about the Fatherhood Challenge, please visit thefatherhoodchallenge.com. That's thefatherhoodchallenge.com.